Well, friends, welcome to summer. You know, with the, uh, uh, the kickoff here on Independence Day, the 4th of July, kicks off a great season, am I right? Yeah, construction season. Come on, you all love construction season. Who doesn't love seeing one of those men at work signs, huh? I'll tell you what, I get excited because then I can finally slow down and start thinking about my wedding vows, you know, and just kind of rehearsing some of those things and maybe thinking about, when's the last time I cut my toenails? When am I going to really... <laughs> Come on, nobody likes construction season, let's face it. We all love those fresh, fresh paved streets, no bumps, da-dum, 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 keeping in chime with your radio, the song bumping on it, you know, we, we, we love those clean lines in the lanes, and, but let's face it, it can be frustrating, it can be vexing, it can be infuriating, it also gives you some time to study your thesaurus, you know, I'll tell you, um, but yeah, it can be, it can be a real, a real uh, annoyance. You know, but life is, it can be a lot like living out life in faith with God. If we don't really understand what God is doing, we can really be frustrated. We can really, we, we can have a lot of anxiety, a lot of rolling around on our pillow, flipping it from this side and that side. We don't really understand why God is doing what he's doing and how he's doing it. It can, be, it can be frustrating. And so today, it is my intent to talk about what it is God is up to. We're going to talk about the works of God. We're going to talk about God at work. These are not conversations oft had on a Sunday, and I thought it was about time. We're going to talk about God at work. Because, my friends, the Word of God calls us to praise God for His works. Look at here, Psalm 107, 31. Let them thank the... <laughs> it was on the previous screen there. <laughs> All right, I got it in front of me, don't worry. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. His wondrous works... We are to praise God for his works, but my friends, if you don't know what God's works are, it's going to be awfully hard to praise him. And so friends, if we're going to praise God for his works, let's jump in and take a look at three of the great works of God. Three of the great works of God. The first, I would suggest to you, is the work of predestination. Now, that's not a word we pull out of our Bible dictionary too often, is it? Predestination. Now, there are a whole lot of people, maybe even in this room, that have a real problem with even talking about that. You know, they do, well, what is this predestination? Predestination, when we talk about that, we're talking about God determining ahead of time a specific end or result. God, before the foundation of the world, when, when not just you were a thought in someone's mind, but before the, 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 the heavens and the earth were even in existence, in God's mind, in his omniscient, all-knowing mind, God had a specific end. 
Now, friends, we, we live this way as a reflection of how God works. We start a day or a project with an end in mind. Right now, um, I have a deck in my backyard, and a lot of the posts are just, just rotting away, and the hand railing's coming off. It is generally terrible looking and, and very unsafe. And I got three grandchildren that it's just a matter of time. They'll be running around there. I want it to look good, but I want it to be safe. And so I start with that end in mind. And God doesn't just say, hey, what's going on today? Let's see what we can do. God has an, a very, very, very clearly defined purpose. And, and he has laid that out ahead of time. So, and what is the, the, the purpose of this end? What is the end goal in all of this? Well, first, to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't just come up with a plan, hey, we could do it this way. God has some very clear purposes in mind. Now, I want you to take your copy of the Scripture or take a look at the screen up in front of you. One of the key chapters when we talk about God's predestination, choosing a specific end in, um, as he begins his work, Romans 8, 28 to 30 is a, an essential section of Scripture to look at. I want you to notice this. We like to hang out at 28, but friends, we're going to go further today. In verse 28, we see, and we know that those who love, for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's God's plan. He uses all of it. God is the ultimate recycler. Nothing goes to waste in God's plan. Every little convenience, every little guy pulled out in front of you so you had to tap the brake, God's timing and all of these things are perfect. Again, Ephesians 2, and we know, we should know this. We don't always see it. We don't always see how everything works together because we aren't up high enough to see it all flow. When you're in Chicago and you're up in one of those big tall buildings, maybe the Hancock, you look down, you see people and they're nothing but legs moving, you know? And you can get a really broad perspective on how all of the city is moving together in a life. But I'll tell you, friends, from down here, it's hard to see. And so the scripture tells us this so that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It is a purpose for those who are called according to his purpose. See, there's that word purpose. God has purpose for everything. Life looks a lot like random. You wake up with different thoughts and different ideas and different complications but all of that is purpose in God's mind. And he tells us a little bit about this purpose, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, that is knowing someone ahead of time. And the word knowing in the Bible doesn't just mean information about. Okay, this foreknowledge is an intimate knowledge about somebody. My friends, I hope that's you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There is the purpose of God in your life. You wonder why things are happening in this, this world, why you may be lost a job, maybe why you have to move, why you this, that, and the other thing. All of these things that make us sit back and say, God, what are you doing? 
I'm exhausted, let me just take a break. But God has a purpose in all of this. And in the life of a believer, if you have come to a point in your life where you have realized you have rebelled against God in every action and thought in your life, you are selfish, you only think about yourself, everyone else is merely a step to get something you want. And sometimes that's just as, as simple and common as holding someone's hand. A lot of times, friend, when you reach for that hand, it isn't for them, it's for you. Let's be honest about it. We are inherently selfish. Selfishness is the basis of sin. And sin, the Bible says, is punishable by death. Now, death is not just physical death. When we talk about sin against an eternal God, it deserves an eternal punishment, which is separation from God for all eternity. Death, in its very essence of a definition, means separation. The Bible defines death as separation between the body and the spirit, separate, separation. And, uh, and if you've come to a moment, you realize, I'm in real trouble here. I'm a sinner. And I know far worse more about me than anybody else does. And God knows it all. And you've come to a point where you've said, God, in your grace, will you please forgive me? Show mercy to me. And you know what? Based on the fact that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, on the basis of his sacrifice for your sin, God forgives. It's as simple as that. God has already paid the price simply waiting for you to join in. If you have done that, God has a very specific purpose, one that we tend to overlook. We think, now we're saved, now we're just hanging out till heaven. But God has bigger stuff involved here. Look at this. His purpose is to conform us to the character of his son, the image of his son, that we might be more like Jesus. It doesn't mean we're growing out our hair or a beard, if that's indeed what Jesus looked like at all. My friends, it means that we become to act and think and see and, and look at life more like Jesus did. We begin to change from the inside out. And God's purpose is to use all things in this world to conform you to the character of his son. And so even the most difficult things, the most inconvenient of all, and sometimes the, the most painful, God is using all of these things to accomplish his purpose in your life. And God has chose the, chosen these things ahead of time. And because we are all different, God has a different road for every one of us. What is effective for me may not be effective for you at all. Sometimes God uses pain to move us. Sometimes he uses his goodness to draw us. And it happens at different times to all of us, my friends. But God doesn't waste a thing. Whatever it is, is that's going on in your life right now, you need to see it in light of what God is trying to accomplish in your life and what ultimately God will. And maybe friends somewhere along the line will decide to go along with it. 
and see it as God sees it. God, I know that you have purpose for this. Open my eyes, God, not that I can see more to complain about, but that God, so I can participate in it. And so the predestination of God is, is to accomplish a very clear purpose. And that purpose is to conform his children to the image of his son. In order that, in order that, see that's, that's more purpose. Do you see that? In order that. I do this in order that that might happen. In order that what? That he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now that's a confusing statement right there. What do you mean firstborn? Oh yeah, he was born in Nazareth. That's not what it's talking about at all. When you see firstborn in the scripture, the first thing that ought to come to your mind is not just who came out first, but my friends, who is in a position of honor? The firstborn was given a higher uh, inheritance, a greater privilege, certainly more responsibility. So when we talk about firstborn, we're talking about being in the catbird seat here, my friends. This is the choice seat. And that Jesus might be prime and, and, and over in this great place with all of us. That we might join him there in this place of blessing, in this place of favor. And so that's what we're talking about. That's God's intent for you and me. Very clear purpose. And he laid out this plan ahead of time, my friends. And this is where it ends for believers like you and I. All right. So his purpose, of course, is to accomplish his purpose, this predestination to accomplish his purpose. But then for a reason, why this? Why this? Why choose a person like me or you or any of us? Is it for our good? Well, it certainly results in our good, but ultimately it has a higher purpose than that. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 to 11, which by the way in the Greek is one sentence. That's right, verses 3 to 11, one sentence in the Greek. Paul tends to be a run-on kind of guy, but he includes so much good stuff. I want you to notice this in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. We're talking about the purpose why God is conforming us to the image of his son. The reason he's doing that. Not only that, that we might join Jesus in this, this, this uh, um, favored position, this, this glory that we enter into. Verse 3 tells us this, blessed be the God and Father. Now in this one sentence, we're going to see all the persons of the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one of them has a part in our salvation, and I want you to notice it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And how did he do that, verse 4? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's predestination, my friends. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you, he chose you to be conformed to the character of his son. 
There it is. God, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, there it is, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. There's his purpose, my friend, choosing ahead of time to change us from the inside out, to be adopted as his son in that favored firstborn position. And that was the purpose of his will. And you know why he did it? Here's the answer in verse 6. You're going to see this phrase show up three times in this one sentence. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see, the good thing that God is doing in my life and your life is something that will bring glory to him. It brings good into our life and glory to him, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's through Jesus. The beloved is Jesus. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. So the Father chose us, but the Son redeemed us. Notice this. We have redemption through his blood. And by blood, we're not talking about a blood test. The word blood here is talking about the death, the crucifixion of Christ. He laid down his life in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And so there it is, my friends. We have redemption through his blood. The father chose us. The son died for us. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, that's sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to, and there it is, his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, And in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that, why does God do all of these things? So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be, and there's that phrase again, to the praise of his glory. God is doing all of these good things in our life that are good for us, conforming us, working in us and through us to ultimately bring glory to himself. And in verse 13, we notice this. Again, the Father has chosen us. The Son has redeemed us, dying for us. In verse 13, we see in him also, when you heard the word of truth, The gospel, when you heard and understood that Christ died for our sin, that he rose from the dead, that he was a substitute, he took the penalty that you and I deserve, and you put your trust in him. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, notice you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
sealed. A seal is, is a mark that shows ownership. Seal is a preservation type thing. You know, we like those freshly sealed packages while we get those Ziplocs that don't just fold. We get those guys that zip up to keep the freshness in, right? Okay. But friends, I notice here that the Spirit of God has marked us and, and it is also something, again, with identification and per, uh, preservation. But in him, you also heard the word, you know, we're talking about the work of the Spirit of God, who, by the way, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance. Father chose us. The Son died for us. The Spirit of God guarantees the inheritance that God has for us. There it is, the guarantee of our inheritance. How long until we acquire possession of it? Why? And there it is, to, to the praise of his glory. This whole salvation that God has predestined the children of God to experience one day. Friends, it's more than just heaven, friends. There is a whole lot more about our salvation we need to know what it is God is doing, why it is that he is doing it, and what he is accomplishing for his own glory because of it. And so there's that word predestination. Now there's a mouthful right there. Something to go back and explore a little later perhaps. Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1. God chose us, the Father chose us, the Son died for us, and the Spirit of God seals us, all for the glory of God. Well, the second work that we're going to look at here today is the work of creation. See, we started here in chronological order, my friends. Did you notice that? We went before creation, before time began, as it were. And now we're going to creation, the work of creation. And by creation, what we mean is, we mean primarily, the, we mean that the free act of the triune God, by which in the beginning, for his own glory, he made without the use of pre-existing materials, the whole visible and invisible universe. Remember, he made all the stuff before there was stuff. Okay, I mean, to put it crudely, all right? Uh, the, uh, the Latin here is ex nihilo, out of nothing, God created everything. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us this. Wait, don't look at it. Come here, over here. All right. Do you know Genesis 1-1? I mean, just out of curiosity, it is the first verse of the Bible. And I recall as a little kid, it was one of the first verses, perhaps the first verse I ever learned. In the beginning, say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. It's as simple as that. You want to know where it came from, there's your answer. And you didn't even have to go very far into the book. And now we get some further details of how he did it. God spoke the power of God's word. He spoke and brought things into existence. Not a bunch of rearranging stuff. My deck is nothing but rearranging. Somebody went and cut down some trees, brought it into a factory and made it green, shipped it off to the Menards, and now on my deck it is, my friend. That's just rearranging stuff. But God, ex nihilo is the word, out of nothing, 
God made it all. That tells you something about the power of God. I mean, if you think about that too long, it'll just make your head spin. Making something out of nothing. Only God could do such a thing. And only God did such a thing, my friends. And God's creation starts with uh, certainly the creation of the world, the universe. But my friends, then God begins to get a little more detailed with it. It seems that as the story is told or the account is given in Genesis 1, God makes all the stuff. And then he starts with the fine work here, you know? He's got the sky and the land and the sea, and then he's filling it. We've got the birds up in the sky flying around, and we've got the fish in the waters. And you know, you're a fisherman out there. You say, praise God for that, you know? Praise God for all of it. You know, and then on the land, you've got these animals, all kinds of creatures running around. Sometimes they get in your kitchen. It happens, my friends. And <laughs> you know, but, but God creating all this. And then his crown of creation, we find in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Now, we have a different word being used. The word in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 1 is, is bara. It's, it's a Hebrew word bara. It means created, okay? And we get the idea out of nothing here. It is only this word in the Old Testament is only used of God. God is the only one that bara, okay, creates. But when we come to uh, verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, we see a new word introduced for the creation of man. You recall here in Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And then we are introduced to the Hebrew word yasar. It means formed. You know, and we can almost get that idea. God's scooping up a bunch of dirt and saying, oh, the guys are going to love this stuff. They're living it, you know? I mean, come on, who doesn't like to get dirty out there? We just do, you know? Guys do. We, as a matter of fact, I got dirt under my fingernail right now. <laughs> if you want to see it, I'll be in the hallway. I'll tell you, you know, we just, we're made of dirt, and when we get in it, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's just uh, who we are. And, and, and God is forming the man. You get the feel of shaping, you know? And God making just the way we can thrive in the creation that he made for us. In this world, we can see, we can communicate, you know? But then when we get to verse 21 of chapter 2, we're introduced in yet another verb here. In the building of the woman. Notice I said building of the woman here. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 21, we read this. So, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with a flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, it sure seems like God's got a rib in his hand here, and he's about to make a woman out. It seems like it ought to be the same word there, right? You know, except a handful of dirt, you know, we get a rib. But it is a different word. It is banah. And, and it is a word 
that uh, where, where the word for man is just kind of putting it together, the word for woman is the word that is used to describe the loveliness in the building of a temple, of a tabernacle, of this beautiful structure. And it's just kind of great to know that because that's what we'd kind of think anyway. Am I right, guys? You know that God did something just a little special with the women, you know? Yeah, it's true. You know, guys are rolling all over, scanning their knees and their elbows and doing crazy things. And girls are learning to walk in high heels, you know. I mean, they're just, you know, a little different. And it's the difference that's good. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Amen. And we meant that in a holy way, friends, didn't we? Of course we did. Yeah. So the work of creation, it is the work of creation. God creating and designing you know, think of it. God didn't say, well, what are we going to do with this spot over here? God's design is perfect. Think about it. You know, I mean, you can pull up those weeds and they'll be back next year. I'll tell you, they're, they're durable, you know. It's, it's kind of like you get a slice on your arm or scrape your elbow in a week and a half. Yeah, it was around here somewhere. It's a great design that God had. This, this ever-renewing you know, a man and a woman get together, they make more people. You know, it happens. God's design is astounding. Let's be honest. You never thought about this man-woman thing and said, what was God thinking, you know? And then you thought, well, this is good, right? Because that's what God said. This is good. Yes. And so the work of creation, all of these things for which God ought be praised, you know, I'll tell you, I, I love the, the, the sunshine coming down. It's brown in my skin a little. And you know what else? I, I like the breeze that goes through. Isn't it wonderful that God thought, they're going to like this wind. <laughs> they're going to like that nice gentle breeze coming across the back deck there, you know, because it's going to feel good. You know, it's nice to be warm, but it's nice to be cooled off as well. God's creation is certainly something that ought to compel us to praise him. So his work of, of predestination is this great plan that is yet still in effect and God's creation. Now we talk about the final work here that we're going to discuss this morning. And this, this word here is providence. Providence. Everybody say providence. You ever heard that word before? Providence? I'm talking about other than Rhode Island, you know? Come on. Providence. What in the world is providence? Providence is God's superintending activity over human actions throughout human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal. See how it's all connected here, friends, this predestination, and, and now here this providence is God interacting with his creation. That's providence, God interacting with his creation. My friends, that shows up in three different ways in the world that we live in. First, God's sovereign control over the natural order. You know, think about Noah. God said, it's going to rain. Was God just lucky about that? You know, he kind of thought it might rain. It felt a little humid out. No, it started raining because God said it was going to rain. And God is the one who causes the rain. God is the one who created the idea of rain. Think about how outrageously creative that is. I mean, in the beginning, it wasn't so. 
You know, in the beginning, the waters were under and above, and, and everything was just water without anything falling down on you, you know? You never needed an umbrella before Noah. Um, you know, just God's design. But think about that, you know, water just falling from the sky, you know? I mean, if you ever just stop two seconds to think about it, it's incredible. Water everywhere, the vapor is, is astounding. And so God's sovereign control over the natural order, it shows up in all kinds of unique ways in our life. In the, the book of Job, which by the way, Job is a contemporary of Abraham living around that same time early on in history. You know, you, you may recall, you know, Job went through a tough time there. The big question was laid down, and this is such an important question. Is God worthy of worship? regardless of your circumstances. I mean, do, do you only have to, is, is God only worthy of our worship if good things are happening? You know, and Satan came to God. Apparently, he was reporting to God, and uh, he said, you know, uh, you know, the Job only worships you because his life is good. Really? You know, if you took away all these good things in his life, he'd curse you to your face really? Well, go ahead. And right there you say, that's not fair. God isn't fair. God is God. God does all things for his glory. But my friends, if you put your trust in him, I guarantee it'll be worth it. You will praise God one day. I mean, I'll bet you Job's looking back and say, man, I'm really glad I praise God through it all. I mean, I never knew millions upon millions of people would know my story. You know, what's done in private will one day be shouted from the rooftops, people. You know, we often say, well, you know, uh, <laughs> there's always someone watching, I'll tell you. So, yeah, so, so, so uh, he says, go ahead, take away his stuff and his cattle, his houses. It's, it's, it's an enormous loss. I mean, his children are dead. It's, it's terrible. But he doesn't curse God. And Satan has another idea. You know what? Skin for skin. You take away his health. You see, when, when he starts really feeling miserable, regardless of the position, if he's sitting, if he's standing, if he's laying down, then he's going to curse you. Because no man can put up with a little bit of pain. Well, go ahead. Take away his health. But, don't, but save his life. Don't take his life. All of these things are in the control of God. This great wind that comes, this storm, whatever it is, God controls it all. That is providence, my friends. That is, that is why prayer matters. Because God not only hears it and is honored by it, but God has also chosen in his wisdom as part of his plan to respond to it. Pray, my friends pray. God responding, interacting with his creation. So God's sovereign control over the natural order, God could raise up a plant to bring shade to rebellious Jonah who's running away, but God can also cause the sun to wilt it away. God controls all of it, my friends, and he interacts with his creation. In providence, God's sovereign actions in world history you know, God, this isn't God sitting back going, wow, I wonder how this is going to all turn out. God raises up kingdoms 
and he tears them down. Throughout world history, it's up and down and over. And I mean, here it is, uh, Independence Day weekend. Think about that. You know, a couple of guys saying, you know, sure, it's high treason, but we're going to do it anyway because we don't want to live this way. What circumstances over taxes, for heaven's sakes, you know? And we, we want taxation with representation. Oh, by the way, friends, that's not so great either, is it? <laughs> but my friends, this is, this is history. He raises up nations and he tears them down. Think about Assyria and all of these places used to be the world powers. Now they're little backward countries that seem always angry about something, you know? But God raises them up and he tears them down. And in the providence of God, we see God's sovereign involvement in personal circumstances. We're talking about answered prayer. We're talking about sickness. In John chapter 11, it is the most unusual passage. It, it really is. It starts with, with some news coming to Jesus and his disciples about his friend. His friend's name is Lazarus. And the news is that Lazarus is sick. You know, and well, we, we should go then, you know. But Jesus delays. Well, Jesus doesn't even have to be there because we know he can just heal somebody from afar. You know, and, uh, and then Jesus, yeah, this is, is, Lazarus is dead. And then his disciples like, well, let's go and die with him. You know, they don't have a clue what's happening. And by the time he's get there, his sisters are distraught. Mary and Martha, they each come and say, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Which is true. Nobody ever died in the presence of God. Yeah? Is that true? Think about it. Anybody? It's not true. Think about the cross, friends. <laughs> All right. So, Anybody? Are you still worrying on that one? No, Jesus laid down. He, he, he gave up the ghost before. They broke those guys' legs, then they died. It's all right. You're too distracted by that, all right? And so here we are, and these, these sisters are distraught, and good Lord, you could have done something about this. But Jesus had told his disciples, this sickness is for the glory of God. I mean, God had a plan in this death. You know, in this unusual situation, Lord Jesus said, where is he buried? And simply with the same words that brought everything into creation, the same word that brought everything into creation, God the Son shouts out, Lazarus comes forth. Sickness and health, all of it's part of the plan, my friends. And God's plan is good. One day we will rejoice in it. One day we will have the kind of perspective that enables us to see what God's plan was in all of it. And we will praise him for it. And so, my friends, we need to understand what it is God is doing if we're going to praise him for it. So understand this. All of it matters. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is random. God is using all things for good. For those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. He's got a great purpose for your life, my friends. Don't fight it. 
So friends, to wrap it up, God's work is certainly worthy of our praise. So I would challenge you, friends, to worship God for who he is and praise him for what he does. Worship, we've studied the God whom we worship to know him better. And today we've introduced a couple of new concepts, maybe. But my friends, worship God for who he is. Praise God for what he does. And maybe even remind yourself where you'd be without it.